Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca. find a seat. We're going to get started. You, uh, it's such a blessing this morning to have uh, the youth leading us. Uh, just did such a fantastic job and um, so thankful that uh, they're seeing that if you are in Christ, you don't have to wait till 18 to serve him. And uh, uh, just uh, pray that that would just be multiplied in our church, that heart to serve. And um, uh, thankful for Redemption Kids and for so many volunteers. And as we mentioned, there's always a need for more uh, volunteers. And if the Lord would put that on your heart, I believe that you would be blessed if you were to serve in that way. Well, we are going to do a little something different this morning than I had planned up until Thursday. I thought, well, we'll do, we'll do Genesis, you know, and, and uh, we'll just keep going. And um, I decided on Thursday, now let's, let's maybe share uh, what I've been doing for the last few weeks as we look at the book of Philippians. We're going to be looking at Philippians 1 this morning. Uh, three weeks ago today, Heather and I left after church for the airport, and there was no snow on the ground, and there's still no snow on the ground. So it's just so good. <laughs> Apparently no snow. That's great. And, uh, you know, I know that you did have snow. So I'm very thankful to have not seen it. Um, but um, we went to Toronto first, and we were part of the GCC conference there. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, then from there, we went, uh, Mike and I, uh, one of our elders here, went to Rwanda. Uh, from there, we went to Malawi. And from there, we went to Switzerland. And we got home uh, Friday night. So um, uh, somebody mentioned in the first service, at some point, they thought I was having a stroke. So uh, you'll have to bear with me if the jet lag kicks in. But um, I wanted to share, what does gospel partnership look like? I mean, really, that's been the theme of my last three weeks as I went to the conference and then I had the opportunity to go overseas. And it, it, there's this, this beautiful thing that Christ asks us to do when we can become his children. He, he asks us to serve him. He asks us to, to go into all the world and to make disciples. And I'm so thankful for this church that your heart is not just for this church. That, that your heart is to see Christ's church expanded, not just in Alberta, but around the world. And, and uh, I want to just remind us of the glorious privilege that is as we look at the book of Philippians. So before we get into it, though, let me pray for us, and then we're going to study God's word together. God, we, we thank you for this new day, Lord, that you have made. Lord, we're so thankful that we get to, um, to worship you today. What a privilege it's been as, Lord, you have redirected our thoughts, redirected our minds, and placed them where they ought to be, which is on Jesus Christ. God, we, we want to bring you glory. We want to bring you honor in this church. God, we, we thank you that you are building your church, not just here in Calgary, but around the world. And God, we, we know that the, the harvest is still plentiful, that, that, that the harvest is 
is, is uh, there's still many, many people to come to faith in you. And so, Lord, would you help us to be faithful as the people of God? This morning, as we study this letter to the church of Philippi, God, would you, would you lead this preacher? Would you help him to, to speak your word with clarity and with conviction? Lord, would you help our hearts to respond in kind? Lord, would you help us to, to, to know you more, to love you better as a result of our study together so that your church might be advanced? And Lord, it's for your glory as we're going to read this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so everybody needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. We want everybody to be able to look at God's Word together. The pastor doesn't have anything uh, for you, but we believe God's Word has what we need today. And so it's our authority, not some church, not some man, uh, not, not anything of this world, but God's Word. It's our authority. And so turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And as we read this text, we're going to see that, that Paul was in a partnership when it came to the advancement of the gospel, and so too are you and I. So let's read Philippians 1, 3 to 11. First he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may, be, may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This morning I want us to see four blessings that we have in the partnership of the gospel First, we see the joy of partnership in the gospel, the joy of partnership in the gospel, and this is going to be in verses 3 to 5. Paul, uh, as he, as, after giving this initial greeting in verses 1 and 2, says that, that he thanks his God in all remembrance of them, always in every prayer of his for, for them all, making his prayer with joy. What we see right from the beginning, he's using these, these all-encompassing words in all my remembrance of you. Always, he says, in every prayer that you all might make my prayer with, that I make my prayer with joy. He, he, he's, he's using the, these, these words of passion. He knows that they're not perfect, but he's giving thanks always in every prayer for every one. He's, he's not singling one particular person out of that group. He is saying, I, this is my heart for the church in Philippi. Hansen says this, prayer with a Godward perspective focuses on God's gracious work in human lives, no matter how fallen and needy. And as we consider the body of Christ, every single one of us are in need of growth. The, the, the process of us growing in him doesn't end till glory. 
But in the meantime, God is using us. He is shaping us. He's growing us so that we might become more and more like him. And and Paul's saying, I I remember you in all of my prayers. Every one of you, he's, he's praying for them. He's praying for them with thankfulness and with joy. Now, we haven't had time to kind of unload on what, where, you know, who, when was this written? Where is this written from? And so just to, to remind us, Paul is writing this from prison. His first words are not like, hey, 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 remember me? I'm the guy stuck in prison for preaching the gospel. Can you guys, you know, maybe pray for me? Can you, can you focus on my needs? Like that's not how he starts the letter. He starts the letter by saying he's full of thankfulness and joy. His joy is not dependent upon his circumstances. His joy is dependent on the gospel going forward. His joy is dependent upon his life in Jesus Christ. That's such a lesson for you and I. You know, as I was, uh, had the opportunity to be in Rwanda and Malawi, it took me back to what I've seen over and over again every time I've been to Africa. The African believers put us to shame when it comes to joy. They, 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 they are a far happier people. They are far more joyful people. And I would dare say every single one of them have had a more difficult life than you and I have had. They, they, they have, they've seen loved ones die. They, they, some of them are dependent every day on as to whether they would be able to eat or not eat. They've had difficult times. Uncertain governments come over them. They, they, their life is not like our lives, and yet they have joy. And I witnessed that again and again and again. Why? Their, their joy is not built on their present-day circumstances. Their joy is built on Jesus Christ. And so that, it, that, that is a message for you and I this morning. It, note that as Paul prays, he's not doing it out of formal, you know, I guess I'm supposed to pray now. Dear Lord, here's my list. In your name, amen. I mean, when he, as he comes to pray, he comes with passion. He comes with joy. He comes with thankfulness. So it ought to be for you and I. Like to, to come before the throne of the King of kings and Lord of lords, it should be not out of duty, but out of joy. To say, I get to lift up my brothers and sisters in Christ to him. And I know that through this, he will hear my prayer, that he will advance his kingdom. This should be the the pattern of you and I as believers, not focused on our present-day circumstances. I love what Meyer says. We must distinguish between worldly joy and Christian joy. Worldly joy requires delightful circumstances, while Christian joy depends on deep-seated delight in Christ, not circumstances. Elizabeth Elliot said it well, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. May the Lord give us that contentment, that joy that is found in him and him alone. Paul's circumstances were not great, right? He's in prison, not the kind of prison that you and I would see today, but in much more difficult circumstances. Yet as he begins this letter, he wants them to know, listen, I'm not sorrowful, I'm not despondent, I'm not depressed, I am full of joy and thankfulness because I know that the work that's begun in them is going to be completed by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He says, why is he thankful? Why is he, why is he full of joy? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership is, uh, is this word koinonia, fellowship, it's often translated. It is, is this, this idea of more than just warm feelings. It's what we're partnering together to see accomplished. Carson says this, the heart of the matter is this shared vision of what is of transcendent importance. A vision that calls both, far, both of our commitments. They, they, they we're, not, we're not just about, you know, hockey teams. I mean, amen, Alberta fans. Right? You're not about that, okay? We're, 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 we're not about, you know, the, the latest fashion. We're not even about politics. We're, we're about the kingdom of God. And we are united in this that we are to go and to make disciples of all nations. This is our task. This is our commitment together as the body of Christ. For too long, the church in North America is like, you know, sit back and serve me. Well, that's, you don't see that in the Bible. What you see in the Bible is that we get to serve one another together. That God has filled us with his spirit that we might see his kingdom advanced. And so Paul says, I'm so thankful for you because this is what I see in your life. That from the very beginning, you have been with me in partnering for the gospel. You just flip over a couple of pages to Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 18. He kind of gives us a little bit more of a picture. What did this partnership look like? We see in verse 15 of chapter 4, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. You have this pattern of continually supporting Paul in his ministry wherever he goes. And even now that he's in prison, he's saying, listen, I received your gift and it has been such an encouragement to me. See, they're they're supporting Paul in the good times and in the hard times. They're partnering with him in the gospel. And so it should be for every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that we would see, Lord, use my strength. Lord, use my energy. Use my gifts. Use my money. Whatever it takes, Lord, I want to see your kingdom advanced around the world. And this is what Paul is seeing in the church of Philippi. These Philippian believers are so close to Paul. They, they, they remember when they came to faith, when Paul came through town, when there was no believers in Philippi. They, they remember the impact that it had on them, and they, they were partakers of that grace. They now are in the Lord Jesus Christ because of that ministry, and they want to see that ministry spread around the world. You, you get to have this glimpse into his ministry in Acts chapter 16. He and Solus come into town. They're like, okay, where do we go? They, they, they're like, maybe there's some women down here praying at the river. They get there. They proclaim the gospel. And we read in Acts 16, 14, that the Lord opened her heart, Lydia, to pay attention to what Paul said. It, that's the story of every single believer here this morning. 
Yet one point you heard the gospel, instead of bouncing it off of you, the Lord opened your ears to understand what the gospel really was, and your heart was changed. And God made you a new creation. That's how the gospel goes forth. I pray that every single one of you here this morning can say, yeah, yeah, I remember that day. I remember when, when I had been walking in rebellion against God and then he took my mind and he changed my mind. He opened my heart to the gospel and I've been walking with him ever since that day. Paul went to, to Lydia's uh, right after. He's like, Lydia's like, okay, you're coming to my place. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, and he's like, no, you're coming to my place. I'm taking care of you guys. And, they, and she took care of him. And then the, the, the whole town gets riled up. The next thing he knows, he's in prison, he and Silas, and they're singing hymns, like, singing hymns, like, you know, like, like nobody knows the trouble I've seen, like that kind of song, you know. No, no, like they're just singing praise to the Lord. And the next thing you know, the Philippian jailer's getting saved because of what God's doing, he and his whole household. And then eventually they get kicked out of town. And then, like, Who's left behind? Well, at the beginning of the letter, we see that this letter is going to elders and to the saints of the church of Philippi. The church has grown because the faithfulness of the Philippian jailer, because the faithfulness of Lydia, as the gospel continued to go forward. I mean, this is the joy of partnership in the gospel. Is it your heart this morning to see the gospel advanced? So many of you have been a part of this church and and seen the the gospel go forward. And and, and by God's grace, we've seen four churches planted in Alberta, and and we're praying for more. And so I was asked when I went to the GCC conference, would you do a couple of workshops on church planting? And as I was studying, I was just reminded of, of what this does to a local church when they get fired up about seeing the gospel multiplied beyond their doors. This quote's from Dave Harvey. He says, This multiplication is both a mission to the world and a mega vitamin for the church. For a church to be truly healthy, it must exist for something outside of itself. Multiplication catalyzes church renewal. When we neglect it, churches bend inward and we are unable to see beyond ourselves. But when we pray and plan for multiplication, we enjoy the revitalizing nourishment that can only come from an outward push. The Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea are both fed from the same source, but only one is teeming with life. Why? Outlets, outlets. The, The Sea of Galilee has water both flowing into it and out of it. The Dead Sea only has water flowing into it. And so it is in the church. If a local church is to be healthy, they must have a plan for multiplication. And I'm so thankful for this church that that's our heart. We, 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 yes, we want to see Calgary saved, right? Lord, do, do to Calgary what you did to Nineveh. Would you just, would you save this entire city? Would you do that through us as we go out and proclaim the gospel? But God, that's not enough. You've told us to go into all the world. And, and so many of you seen the video last weekend, and, and you heard the students of the church planning class giving thanks to you because you sent Mike and I. They, they understand that Mike and I aren't high rollers with deep pockets, right? 
They, they know that we didn't fund the trip to Africa. Turns out going to Africa cost a few dollars, right? And, 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 and so they're, they're giving thanks to you because they know there was a financial sacrifice that you gave so that the gospel would go out from Calgary and be around the world to Rwanda. This is the way it ought to be as we partner together in the gospel. And I want to tell you and I want to share the joy that it is when we partner together. God is doing a mighty work right now in Africa. I, I, Shannon Hurley, he's been saying it for years now. He's, he's one of our missionaries that we support in Uganda. And he just is like, now is the time for Africa. And I'm telling you, being there, I believe it. You're, I'm seeing it. The, the, the church is not only this being planted in Rwanda, but next door in Congo. If you know anything about politics and what's going on in Congo, not a great place to live. But the church is thriving in Congo. So they're planting there. They're planting in Kenya. They're planting in Tanzania. They're, they're, they're working now in Malawi. And they're looking at going into Zambia. They want to, like, they're not okay. Let's just, just plant in, in Rwanda. They're like, Let's see sub-Saharan Africa saved for Christ. And, and, and together, this is the mission we're on. And not that we think we can do it in ourselves, but we serve a great God and we believe he can do it. And so we have the joy of partnering together and then just sit back and say, look, look what God's doing. Look what God is doing. And even though Paul is in chains in prison, he sees the gospel still going forward. The, the fruit of his labor is still going forward because the church at Philippi is still serving. And, and so let us have this kind of mindset together. Thankful that we have that. But God, would you spur us on? Would you help us to have it even more? That's the joy of partnership in the gospel. Secondly, we see the confidence of partnership in the gospel. Paul says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When Paul was first forced out of Philippi, he must have been wondering, like, how are the few believers going to do? I mean, I wasn't able to be there for very long, and now I've been forced out. And he has this great encouragement. No, listen, the church is doing just fine. And as he looks back, he sees that, that they truly did give their lives to Christ because he's seeing the fruit of it over and over again. They have the same love and heart for the gospel to go forward as he has. They are fellow believers in Christ. And so as he looks at that evidence of the miraculous work of Christ in their life, he, he's seeing that God is going to continue to do that work in them. As we went through the book of Romans, we're reminded that Christ saved us, that Christ is saving us, and that Christ will save us. We think about that in theological terms. First, Christ has saved us. Justification. You and I are not here because we're good people. We're, we're not here uh, because of any good works we have, done, we have done. We are here because we have a great Savior. He has saved us from our sins. To be justified before God was that on the cross, when, when Christ was hanging on that cross, he took my sin, he took your sin upon himself. And then the wrath of God was poured out on Christ for every single one of my sins, every single one of your sins. It was, our debt was paid in full. And then in exchange, Christ's perfect righteousness was given to each and every one of us who have placed our trust in him. And so when God looks at us, it's just as if we have never sinned. Incredible. We were dead in our sins. 
What can a dead person do in regards to life? Nothing, right? If you're not sure about that, go and look at the activity at a graveyard. Not a whole lot going on, right? Dead people do nothing, but God has made us alive in him. He's made us new creations. We were slaves to our sin, but now we have been freed by him, and we are now able to live for him, and now the process of sanctification begins. As he's filled us with his Holy Spirit day in and day out, he's making us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. This is the process of us being saved. Is there a change in your life? There ought to be evidence that you are a Christian. It's not just enough to simply say, I'm a Christian. You must have a changed life. This is what we see over and over again in the entire New Testament. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test? And Paul is saying, I am so thankful for the fruit I see in your lives, and I can testify that you are in Christ, and because you are in Christ, I know that he who began the work in you, he will complete it. Whether or not Paul ever gets out of jail again doesn't matter. He knows that Christ will save every single one of those people because he has begun the good work in them. And then he says, until the day of Christ Jesus glorification is coming. One day, on that day, when Christ returns, every single one of us, we'll go from that wrestling and striving and trying to become more and more like Christ as His Spirit enables us to no more sin, given a brand new body, no more suffering. The day of glorification will come and then we will be fully saved. This is all a work of God. I love how Meyer puts it. Assurance of salvation rests not in how strong our grip is on our Father's hand, but in how strong his grip is on us. Is that not encouraging this morning? If you're discouraged in the faith, anybody ever get discouraged in the faith? I remember that one day. That was, uh, we get discouraged, right? Why am I not more like Christ? How come I keep doing the same ridiculous sin in my life? Lord, save me from my sin. He's like, I am. I am. Keep trusting me. Keep walking with me. Each and every day, I'm using the circumstances in your life that you might become more and more like my son. It's not an instantaneous thing. It's a process. And I I love what Moitier says here. He says this, The assurance God gives us not only guarantees the outcome, it guarantees too every experience of every day. For in all things, God is putting the finishing touches. Good news, bad news. Difficulty, blessing, unexpected happiness, unexpected trouble. It all has a purpose. Concerning all situations, faith affirms, Without this, I would not be ready for the day of Christ. This is the immediate, practical, and strengthening benefit of the truth of Christian assurance. Everything that you go through on every day, on an everyday basis, God is using those things to make you more like Christ. You would not be like his son if not those events happening in your life every day. 
Is that how you see the circumstances of your life on a daily basis? Whatever God brings, he's using that to make you more like his son. Is that what it says in Romans 8, 28 and 29? All things work together for good for those who love Christ Jesus, for those who are called according to his purpose. He's using every circumstance in your life so that, verse 29, that you might be conformed into the likeness of his son. This is what sanctification is. And so as we experience the highs and lows of an everyday basis, let us not see these as inconveniences to our life, but rather let us see them as what God sees them as, as items in your life to make you more like Christ. This is what he's doing. This is, this is the, 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 the miracle of our salvation. Like, just consider how great our God is that he is able to do that. So encouraging uh, being in Rwanda. Didn't, never been there before. Didn't know what to expect. But what I got, when I got there, I, I, I was blown away by what God is doing there. Their, 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 their theology is solid. I got to teach the church planning class to 35 students. And the questions they had were amazing questions, great questions. They, they have a, a strong ecclesiology. They understand what the church ought to be about. They have a passion to see Christ's church advanced. You know, my, my joke at the beginning of the class was, hey, we're, we're going to plant a church this week. Right? We're going to go from like how in the world, like what is God calling us to do to like how would we get to year one of the church being planted? Like, like what does that look like? And so that was the class and they, they just leaned in. I, I was so encouraged. One of the things that uh, we had them do is that we'd have them break into groups and uh, say, okay, you're going you're gonna to come up with the vision for your church. You're coming into a new town, new city, and, and you're having your first gathering of people, and you're telling them why you're there. You want to see a church planted. Why? Why is your church there? Why does there need to be another church like your church in this community? And so they all did their presentations, and they all did, like, they just knocked out of the park. Fantastic job. And then, for fun, I said, okay, now the rest of the students are going to ask you questions. Maybe some questions that you might receive if you were to do one of these meetings. Some of them I was familiar with from our North American context. Uh, one, the pastor's wife, she was having a little bit of fun. She was sitting in class. And, and she said, um, my husband and I, we enjoy beer. Will we be welcome in your church? Right? And she's so just like, how are they going to respond? Right? And then there were some things that are a little bit more cultural that, that you know, I needed to kind of like get my head wrapped around. Like, what are they talking about? Uh, the, 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 the one question, some of the guys on the, on the panel, the, the vision team, had some sandals on. And so one of the persons said, how would, how would we expect that this church would be positive for our community when some of you are wearing slippers? So I was like, oh. Okay, so what does that mean? He's like, well, for them, they're like 50 years ago when it comes to fundamentalism, right? Can God speak through a pastor without a tie? Doubtful. Doubtful, right? So, so you should have nice shoes on, right? And, I mean, I don't know how they do it. Their shoes are always shining. I mean, like, you know, this is Africa. 
right? But they're just shining. And, 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 but they answered very graciously their question. They're like, well, you know, we see people in our community wear sandals as well, and we're here to minister to everybody in this community, right? So I was like, oh, that's good. That's good, <laughs> right? So, so I don't know if I'm ever going to see any of these people again. I don't know. Only the Lord knows. You know, I, I could be taken home tomorrow. But here's the confidence I have. I'm going to see them in heaven. I've seen the fruit of the gospel in their lives. And I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in them, he will be faithful to complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. So encouraging, so good to be with them. What, what a confidence we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, or sorry, thirdly, we see the affection of partnership in the gospel, the affection of partnership in the gospel. He says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul simply doesn't have these fleeting feelings. This, this word that's translated for feeling could also be translated to think. In other words, he's saying, it's right that I have, have this mindset above, about you. Only genuine believers would move my heart in this way. Hansen says this, when Paul tells his friends that he has them in his heart, he is expressing more than a sentimental feeling. He is stating the commitment of his heart to give his life for his friends. In fact, he tells them later that he's poured out his life for them. We see that in chapter 2, verse 17. His heart commitment to every one of the believers was demonstrated by his sacrificial love for them. Genuine love is not simply expressed in words. It's, it's expressed in our commitment towards one another. It's to love one another sacrificially. It's to, to give of ourselves when, when we would naturally not give of ourselves. To, to love with a divine love. This is what, what Paul is saying here. I, I love you, not just with my own heart, but I, but I love you with the love of Christ. He loves them because, because they are partakers of the grace. Not, not just that they have been saved, but they are partakers of the grace of the gospel going forward. That, that they have joined him in this task. Listen, when Paul left town, that didn't mean the end of their suffering. We see just a few verses later in verse 29 and 30. Paul says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Whether there's the joys or whether there's the struggles, they are partakers of the grace in the good times and in the hard times. Whether Paul is in the prison or not, they're willing to go to prison. Whatever it takes for the gospel to go, before, go forward, to, whatever it takes for the gospel to be defended, they are on mission. They are on task. And, and he's saying, God has granted you the, the, the joy of being able to suffer for him. It was interesting. I, I shared with the class that um, oftentimes... God takes his ministers, he takes his pastors, elders, leaders of the church through times of suffering so that then they would be equipped and ready to be able to minister to the people that God would bring to his church. I spoke about that on Tuesday afternoon. 
Tuesday night, I seen one of the students, and I, I asked him how he was doing, and he said, well, not very good. And I said, what, what's going on? And he just received a message from his wife that at seven months, they had miscarried. Their baby had died. And so the pastor, the next day, he, you know, he had a very busy schedule. But what he did was he took this young man who was from Tanzania. They hopped in the vehicle and they drove eight hours so that he could get to his wife as soon as possible. And then he drove the eight hours back. Just a couple of days after we left Rwanda, we heard of another student whose wife also miscarried at seven months. Difficult times, hard times, suffering. None of us welcome suffering in our lives. None of us want suffering in our lives. But the Lord uses suffering in our lives, just as the scripture was read in Romans 5 today, that we might learn endurance, that we might learn what it means to be comforted, that we might learn that God is good all the time, even when we don't understand what is happening. I'm so thankful for these brothers who are clinging to Christ in faith, even in difficult times. And I know that God will use them greatly as they continue to look to him. Paul says this in verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I, I just love you guys so much. Christ is my witness. He, he knows everything. He knows my heart. He knows my mind. And he knows how much I yearn for you, how much I love you. I mean, Paul was not one of these guys, like, out of sight, out of mind, right? Well, whether you, if you had ever been in his life, he loved you fully. He, he, he desired that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. You were never far from his heart and mind as he cried out to the Lord in prayer. What an example for you and I. That we would have this kind of love for Christ's church, not just here in Redemption, but, but in our city, at other churches, and around the world. May God increase our love for one another. The love that God gives us for one another is such an incredible gift. We receive that love from brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, I got, I got sick, like real sick. Uh, I, we flew in Friday, late Friday night, we got into Rwanda, Saturday we get over to, to, to the, where they, they're at. Sunday, I preach the word. We then go on some roads that never complain about your roads in Canada again. <laughs> like, unbelievable volcanic rock. I, like, I, if he didn't have a Land Rover, we would have died. I mean, it was, I, it was incredible. And then Monday, I start <clears throat> feeling like <clears throat> a little bit of, and then by, by Tuesday, I'm, like, I'm laid out. Like, I, I get down, like, Okay, who wants to pray for us, you know? And, and then I go back to the room and, and like 4.30 at night and I go to bed and I wake up at 8 the next morning and it's time for class again. And like I was just done. And then just the way that they loved on me. It was such an encouragement to my wife who couldn't be there to help care for me. They, like every time I turned around, there was a fresh thing of ginger tea with lemon, right? So that I could continue to talk. And they just said, we're praying for you, brother. Like, we're strangers. But they just loved on me so well. So thankful. The way they care for one another, pray for one another. I, uh, on the Sunday, as we're driving on these crazy roads, I got to 
see where all these future church plants are going to be and to see the work that God's doing. And, and in one particular location, there's, they're well advanced and they got these buildings built. And I'm talking to the pastor and he starts sharing with me his story. He had, um, his wife had been pregnant with triplets and sadly two of them died in the womb. And then the third girl, she was born blind. And in that culture, um, it's almost a, it's a shameful thing to have a child who's disabled. And so oftentimes they'll, they'll hide these children away. But you know what they named her? They named her Blessing. And they said, this is going to be a different story. And so they started a school for the blind. And there's all these kids who normally would have been shunned or shut out. They're able to go to the school. And now this new building that's being built, there's going to be housed these blind children, but then also normal kids so that then they have a normal life together. Like having a child who's disabled myself, my heart was just knit together with this brother right away. I said, I know you've had a tough heart life, but I know that God knew that you could do this. And I'm so thankful that you did not turn away from his plan for you, but that you've embraced it and that you're being such a blessing to all these children in this country. I mean, God gives this great love for one another. It's such a gift. And I, and I pray that we would embrace this love that God has given us for one another. That we would not be focused on ourselves. Clearly, Paul is not focused on himself. He's in prison, but that's not what he's focused on. He's focused on his brothers and sisters. May God give us that love for one another in this church and for our brothers and sisters around the world. The fourth thing I want us to see are the prayers of partnership in the gospel. The prayers of partnership in the gospel. The first thing that we see Paul praying is that they, 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 he prays that they would abound in love. Prays that they would abound in love. He says in verse 9, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. The, 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 the primary thing he prays for these believers is that they would grow in love. But it's not just, you know, a little bit. He's saying, I, I pray that your love would abound more and more. And he's understanding that, that if you do not have love, you got nothing. His letter in 1 Corinthians 13, he makes it very, very clear. You can have all kinds of gifts and all kinds of abilities and prophecies and all kinds of stuff in your church. If you do not have love, you have nothing. And so his primary thing begins with this. I'm praying that your love would abound more and more. Because the love does not start with us. It's Christ's love in us. And, and this is divine love. And he's praying that, that it would be for informed, an informed love. Listen, the world is telling you every day to love, right? But then they set up the definition of what that love is. And if you compare it to what the Bible says, it's not love. It's actually hate is what they're encouraging you to do. And so if you and I are to love well, we must have that love informed by knowledge. How does that happen? Well, we have to be men and women of the word. we got to open this book up. We have to study the scriptures so that we would grow in our knowledge of the scriptures and then and bound in love more and more. The idea here is not that we would have the knowledge 
but that we would also have the discernment, that means how would I apply this knowledge to my everyday circumstances. This is what God's desire is for us, that we would then know how to love well. Does anyone here doubt that in every single circumstance, Christ did the loving thing? He did the perfect thing. He loved well. And so we need the Word of God to inform how to love. I had the opportunity um, after Rwanda, we went to Malawi. There were about 90 elders, pastors, and wives at this conference. I spoke seven times at this conference. And, and you know, it's very sad, Malawi. This is a very impoverished nation. Uh, they don't have 20 Bibles like you and I have. Most don't have a Bible. They can't afford one. And so as I'm speaking to these pastors and elders, listen, I'm telling them, you must be men of the word of God. You must get up and say every Sunday morning, thus saith the Lord. If your people are to be the people whom God wants them to be, they have to know the scriptures. And sadly, not unlike Canada, there are a lot of pastors who think, well, yeah, the Spirit of God will give it to me on Sunday morning. You know? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit actually works seven days a week. Right? So I said to them, listen, Monday morning, you get up and you get your Bible open and you start studying the Scripture so that by Sunday morning, you're able to give them a meal so that you're able to give them a feast, so that they know the Word of God, that they might be conformed more and more into the image of God. You must do this as men of God. I love what Moitra says here. Truth is an essential ingredient in Christian experience. To be a Christian, one must come to know the truth. To grow as a Christian is to grow in one's grasp of the truth in breadth and in depth, Ignorance is a root cause of stunted growth. Why am I not growing in Christ? Because you're not reading the scriptures. Because you're not studying his word to you that you might grow in your knowledge and discernment and then your love flourish. We have to be men and women of the word. It was interesting. uh, Two of the seven sessions I spoke on marriage at, uh, in Malawi, and um, I was talking about roles of husbands and wives, and as I got to the husbands, I was talking about, hey, man, uh, God has called us to love our wives as Christ has loved the church, and I was setting it up as to first show that Christ has saved us and that he has sacrificed for us, and so I, I said at the beginning there, I, I said, you know, ladies, you know, if 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 the gunman were to come in here right now, your husbands would jump in front. If, if, if they were to start shooting, they would jump in front of you to protect you. And it was, this was I, I wish I had a video camera. There's this row of ladies, and, and they, this, there's like two or three who just like rolled their eyes like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And I was like, oh, so I just started cracking up, and I just said, oh, hey, 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 men, there's some ladies doubting this, <laughs> that you would die for your wives. 
And I said, it's because you're not sacrificing for your wives on a daily basis. They don't see that love. You're not loving your wives as Christ loved the church. And then I had a Q&A time after that, and, and it was intended to ask whatever questions, any questions that they wanted. And guess what? It was all about marriage, the entire Q&A time. And at the end of the conference, I had testimony after testimony of, of how the men and women had been challenged to have Christ-centered marriages. I said, I don't care what marriage looks like in Malawi. I don't care what people say marriage should be in Canada. Who cares? What does the Bible tell us? That's what we should have as our marriages. And I'm so thankful that they grasped that truth of the word of God and they left with different marriages. And I share that story to say, listen, if our love would abound more and more, it must be informed by the scriptures. Maybe, you know, no doubt you and I could use a marriage conference, right? To get back, listen, listen, we are just as influenced by our culture as they are. They're, they're in this ditch, we're in this ditch when it comes to marriage. Let's get on the road, let's get in what the scriptures say, and let us live accordingly, that our love may abound more and more. Second thing that he prays for is that he prays that they would have faithful lives. He prays that they would have faithful lives. He says in verse 10, having, having this love, knowing knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Listen, he's saying when we would grow in this love, when we would grow in this knowledge of love and discernment, then we will know what to do. How many times do we find in our lives, we're like, Lord, I, I just need your help. I don't know what the right thing is to do here. What is the most loving words that I could say to these people who are hurting, who are discouraged? How, how could I be used of you? And, and he's promising, listen, as you grow in this love and knowledge and, and, and discernment, you then will know what to do. You'll have this, 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 this knowledge of what the scriptures say, and then the Spirit of God will give you the words to say when you need them through that knowledge of the scriptures so that you may approve what is excellent. In other words, what he's saying is don't be distracted. Don't, 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 don't get off the course. How many North American Christians right now are distracted? He's saying don't be distracted. That do the things that God has designed for you to do so you may approve what is excellent. Our third part of our journey, we were able to go to Switzerland and, and to visit with our missionaries who are there. They're doing such important work right now. Language studies. Do you know there's still 2 billion unreached people in our world? 2 billion. 2 billion people who have never even heard the gospel to reject it. They haven't even heard it. And part of the reason is, is they don't have the scriptures in their language. And so our missionaries there, they were telling me about what they're doing. And Noah, he's just doing this cutting edge kind of work when it comes to language translation. He's taking the technologies that we're having and, and using like these math algorithms to determine what, what is the next language that Wycliffe should be translating the Bible into. He's working in cooperation with them. And he's continually saying, Lord, lead us. Lead, Lord, guide us. A week ago, he did not know whether he's going to be able to go into the Middle East this week. 
But in the last minute, just before we got there, he got confirmation he's going. Why was he unsure as to whether he would be going or not? Because where he's going is super dangerous right now. You guys watch the news, right? There's all kinds of chaos in the Middle East right now. But this brother, he's more concerned about what would God want me to do than he is about his safety. Because he knows that in God's plan, that's the safest place you could ever be. And so tomorrow... Can I ask you, would you pray for him for the next two weeks? He's going into some very remote areas in the Middle East to do language studies so that the work of the gospel going forward would continue. And so let's pray for him. Let's pray for his wife as she's back home with the kids, right? Let, 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 like I told him, listen, our church is pretty fired up about what you're doing. Like, we kind of we think this book is a really big deal, right? And we want, we want as many people on this earth to hear the gospel as God would enable us. And so, brother, we're going to be continuing to pray for you and supporting you and encouraging you. You know, you're, you're kind of, I was a little tired after Africa. I'm just be honest, right? It's like, God, give me the strength and energy to be an encouragement to these folks as we stop in there. And it was. It was such a like, mutual encouragement. And in hearing what God is doing in their lives and through them. And so let us commit to pray for them. Because they, they are doing that which is approved and which is excellent. They are, they are going forward with the gospel, even in difficult situations, even in dangerous situations, so that the gospel would go forward because he is worthy. He is worthy. And as they do so and as we do so, we need to do so with this as the bar. God wants us to be pure. He wants us to be blameless. This describes our inward and outward actions. In our minds, in our hearts, we need to have purity. As we walk in this world, we need to be blameless. We don't want to cause anyone to stumble. This is the bar. Listen, I understand. You're like, I've been trying for a while. It seems like I keep falling short. Maybe we'll just change the standard. Let's put it here instead. That's not, that's not an option. This is the standard. And Christ is saying, I know you can do it. Why? Because I've given you my Holy Spirit. I've given you my word. I've given you the body of Christ. And I'm asking you as a body of believers, not as an individual sport, I'm asking you to come together and that you together would strive after purity and blamelessness. Until when? Until the day of Christ. We keep one eye on the sky, right? Listen, he's coming. He's coming soon. Do I need to remind us of that today? We do not know how much longer we have, so we need to have this urgency. We don't, we kind, of, we don't kind of just sit back and like, well, he's coming someday. You know, I'll get around to it someday. I'll keep, you know, maybe I'll make his priorities my priorities someday. No, we do it now. We do it together because we want to be ready on the day of Christ. And so God, may God help us. May we pray this for one another, that we might have faithful lives. And then lastly, let us pray that they would pray they would glorify the Lord. Let us pray that they would glorify the Lord. He says in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's saying, I want your love to abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, that then your lives, you would see purity and blamelessness on the day of Christ, and that you would see this fruit of righteousness. What is it? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what we've been talking about all summer. 
That God would see in us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. That these would be evidences of his work in us. And what happens when that happens is that, 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 that people look at you differently. Because they're like, wait a minute, that person's different. Well, yeah, we're different. We have the Spirit of God living in us. We're not walking according to our flesh. We're walking according to His power in us, and we live a different life. We're in a different trajectory in this world. I love how Meyer puts it. Christians exist to praise God as pointers to His story. We live a holy and loving life, not to point out, not to point to the work we do, but to point to the fruit God grows in us through Christ. People should see our good works and say, what a great God. Not, what a good person. Anybody ever commends you for who you are in Christ? You deflect that glory right away, right? Whoa, 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 whoa. Not me, not me, not me. Listen, if you know me, you would not like me, right? So if you see anything good in me, let me tell you, it's all from Christ. He gets the glory. If I have any joy, if I have any peace, if I have any patience, if I have any love and self-control, it's from him. He gets the glory in his church, both now and forevermore. And so let us partner together in the gospel. I'm thankful for this church that I'm not like having to start like, let's get going. But I'm saying, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going, church. Let us see his kingdom come, his will being done on this earth as it is in heaven for the glory of his name. Let us not be distracted. Let us be praying for one another in this way with joy and with thankfulness and with passion, praying that our love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that we would be pure and blameless at the coming of Christ to the glory of him. Amen? Amen. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for your word. You, you are good, Lord. You are good. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to serve you. We thank you that we are partakers of your grace, not only in that you have saved us, but Lord, we are partakers of your grace and that we have this joy and privilege to see the gospel carried around the world. Lord, help us to be about this task. Lord, help us to not shrink back. Lord, help us to not be focused on the things of this world, but Lord, have our eyes upon you. Lord, it's so exciting to see the work you're doing. Lord, you're moving mightily in these days. Lord, help us to see that. Help us to not be discouraged. God, help us to prevail, to persevere. Lord, that you might be honored, that you might be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca.